It was just a perfect day to go out for a hike. I was living in southern Colorado at the time, and it was just gorgeous. So I decided to go out to this area in the mountains that I'd been scouting out a little bit to just go for a hike. And I got there, and I could just see the sun shining over the trees, and I just started walking. I, I had been to the area like once before, um, so I didn't know it all that well, but I figured you know, I could find my way through, and I saw an area that I wanted to get to, and so I just started walking. And it was a beautiful day, and as I was walking, I, just, I would you know, sort of veer off the trail and look at things, and I was just really enjoying myself. And then after a little while, I started looking around and realized that things didn't really look all that familiar anymore, and I wasn't quite sure exactly where I had gotten myself to. I drifted off the path a little bit, um, and I, I, you know, it, it, it happened slowly. It wasn't, you know, I didn't run off the path, but I realized that as I was walking, I just sort of drifted away a little bit, and, and I wasn't headed in the direction that I wanted to, and I wasn't quite sure where I came from. Um, so thankfully, it was still early enough in the day that I didn't get stranded out there. I was able to, you know, figure out my way back by, you know, making circles and walking around, and I got back eventually to where I came from. But it was kind of a, a, a nerve-wracking experience when you're out in the, in the wilderness and you're not entirely sure where you are. The, the feeling of, of being lost can be uh, kind of scary sometimes. Uh, many of you know that I am a, in training to be a chaplain in the Army. And so one of the things that they train you in the Army is, is called land navigation. And so what they do is they give you a map and a compass and they teach you how to use them. And then they put you in the wilderness and they say, this is where we want you to get. And so they give you a destination. Uh, they don't, you can't see it, it's a long ways off, and, and so you're supposed to use the tools, the map and the compass, to get where you want to go. And so one of the principles in land navigation is once you get your heading, you use your compass and you find out the heading, and you start walking in the direction that you know that the, the destination is in. You can't quite see it, but you're walking in that direction. And one of the principles is that you want to stop on a regular basis and check your compass Check your heading to make sure that you haven't veered off of the heading that you were going. Because we know that if, if you start heading off the, uh, off the path, even just a little bit, after a period of time, you're going to be way far away from your initial destination. You don't have to take a drastic turn. It can just be a, a matter of not paying attention to where you're going, and all of a sudden, you're, you're lost and you've missed the destination that you're going for. So the principle is you check often, and you, you go back and you look at your compass, and you make sure that you're staying on the right path. And if you realize that you've drifted off path a little bit, then you make cor small corrections to get back. Otherwise, you've got to do what I did back in the woods of Colorado and make a big correction and walk around in circles for a while. Uh, so... The same type of principle applies in life as well. We want to take some time every once in a while in our life to re-examine where we are and make sure that we're headed in the direction that we want to be going. Uh, it's a time for self-reflection, self-examination. It's really important that we do this from time to time to make sure that we are headed where we want to be going. We see this in the educational system. Every, every so often, uh, students are required to take certain tests, and these tests are designed to help the teachers and the students and the parents figure out if the student is heading in the right direction, if they're getting the things that they're supposed to be getting. We do that in the medical field. We're encouraged to get at least an annual checkup, right? We go to the doctor to get a checkup to make sure that our health is going in the direction that we want it to. And if it's not, so we find out what kind of corrections we need to do to, to get back on track. 
Most employees have some sort of an annual review every year where they meet with their supervisor and, and go over the work to make sure that their, their work and their progress is on track for where they want to go. And if it's not, how, you know, to make corrections to get back there. Organizations and individuals spend millions of dollars every year on coaches and consultants for this very purpose. Coaches and consultants that will come in and they'll examine the organization or the coach will work with the individual and they'll, they'll see if they're really on track with the mission that they started out on years or, or generations ago that to, to reinvigorate the mission and the vision of the organization or the mission and the vision of the individual's life. We talk sometimes about midlife crises. You hear about people who are going through a midlife crisis every once in a while. And a midlife crisis is basically somebody who realizes that their life is not at all what they anticipated that it was going to be. Somehow they ended up somewhere in life and they, they wake up one day and they realize that they're not at all where they thought they were going to be at this point in their life. And usually that's because they didn't take time to make the small corrections on a regular basis, like the compass, and because they, they veered off track a little bit, over time, that gap widened and widened. And so now they find themselves going through this crisis because they realize they're not where they wanted to be. They, their lives have ended up differently than they've planned. Uh, so sometimes, it, so that's why self-reflection and self-examination is, is really important, to take that time to, to, to get the, the checkup, to, to look at ourselves and our lives and where we are, to see what it is that we need to do to get back on track, to become the kind of people that we want to be. To, to achieve the kind of goals that we want to achieve. Sometimes these reflections and these self-examinations can be uncomfortable and painful, especially if we realize that we have gotten off track. You know, a failed exam can be uh, devastating, it, it, and, but it can reveal to us that, you know, perhaps we got off track with our study habits, that, that we didn't we, we weren't as diligent or as studious as we thought that we were, that we wanted to be, and so it's sort of a wake-up call that we need to get back on track with our study habits. Yearly medical checkups can do the same thing. We can realize, oh my goodness, you know, we've, I've gotten off track with my diet plan and my exercise plan, and the doctor says something like, you know, you, you're going to want to get back on track, because if you don't, it, the results aren't going to be very good for you. And so hearing that is, isn't always the most pleasant thing in the whole world. Nobody wants to be told that you failed a test or that your, your yearly checkup isn't good, that you've gotten off track. That's not comfortable. Uh, it can be painful. Uh, and so it, in those moments when we have those realizations that we've gotten somewhere off track, we need to decide how we're going to respond. Uh, and people respond to these things in different ways. Some people respond by denial. They, you know, denial is not just a river in Egypt, in case you didn't know that. Yeah, it's a joke. It's okay to laugh. They, they respond with denial. They say, oh, no, I don't really have a problem. There, there's, there's no problem here. And we all know what happens with denial, right? The problem just gets worse. We just don't talk about it. Denial is not a good response. Other people make excuses. Uh, that's me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a great excuse maker. You know, uh, so, oh, I was just too busy to work out this week. Um, you know, I, I had too much going on. And so I'm, re I'm really good at making excuses for not doing the things that I'm supposed to do. I can, always, I can usually find some sort of really good, rational-sounding excuse for why I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Uh, but in the end, that doesn't help me. That, making excuses doesn't help me get back on track. It just you know, helps me rationalize. Uh, other people make justifications or they make compromises and they, they end up saying things like, well, this is actually where I want to be. You know, this is really the right place for me because they can't deal with the, the discomfort of being in a place that's off track. And so they'll, they'll make justifications, they'll make compromises and they'll say, well, this is actually where I want to be instead of doing the hard work to get back on track. 
But the people who do it right are the people who see these uncomfortable moments as opportunities, as opportunities to get back on track, to, to become the kind of person they want to be, to make the necessary changes so that they can get back to doing the things that they want to do and becoming the kind of people that they want to become. They see these as opportunities to correct the course, to reorient themselves back to where they want to go. Uh, you know, when we're doing land navigation in the Army, if I realize that I'm, you know, I've, I've changed my heading a little bit, you know, I could make an excuse and say, oh, well, there was a, a tree in the way and just keep going in the wrong direction, or I can make the necessary correction and get back on track. It, uh, and, and I say all this, this extended introduction to say that in recent years, I have become increasingly convinced that much of American Christianity has lost its way. Much of American Christianity has drifted off track. Um, uh, much of American Christianity, not all of it, and not all American Christians, and I'm sure nobody in this room, but we know people out there, right, uh, have drifted off track. And American Christianity in many ways now is actually in direct opposition to the lifestyle and teaching of its founder and the early movement that emerged in his name. I'm not saying this is anybody's fault. I, really, if it is anybody's fault, it's the people who do what I do. Uh, it's the people who are entrusted to be the guides and the teachers and, and to lead the way. You know, if you go on a, on a safari, you trust that your guide is not going to get you lost, right? So it, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. If it is anybody's fault, it's, it's the guides, the ones who are supposed to be studying and the ones who are supposed to be guiding in the right direction. But over time, as I've been watching, I've, just, I've seen that, that the American church is, is not following in the example that it could of Jesus and the early church. And I've given you some proof a while back uh, in our Christian culture series a few months ago. I, I told you about the Barna results from a 2007 survey where they went out and they surveyed non-Christians and they asked non-Christians to use words to describe Christians. They asked non-Christians to describe Christians. And the, the three top results, 87% of non-Christians said that Christians are too judgmental. 87% of non-Christians said that Christians are too judgmental. 85% of non-Christians said Christians are hypocritical. And 75% of Christians of non-Christians said Christians are too involved in politics. Now, at that point, so this is a point for self-reflection and self-examination. We can look at this and it, now if we look at, at at the life of Jesus and it we see that Jesus was accused of being too judgmental, too hypocritical, and too involved in politics. Well, then we know that we're, in the, we're on the right track because we want to be like Jesus. But that's not what we see. When we look at Jesus in the stories that we have in Scripture, he's not accused of being too judgmental, or too hypocritical, too involved in politics. He's really accused of being the opposite. He's accused of being too compassionate and too kind and too loving and too forgiving. Um, and so when we, when we compare where American Christianity is and where Jesus is, we see that we're, we're, we're far off from our destination. Here's some more proof, and here's where it might get a little bit more uncomfortable. 65% of American evangelicals support a certain presidential candidate whose words and actions stand in direct opposition to Jesus Christ and the movement he began. Now, this is not in any way an endorsement of the opposing candidate because I believe that both 
major candidates stand in opposition to Jesus and the, his teachings and the movement he began. But evangelicals recognize that with one, and they throw their support, 65% of it, their support behind the other one. Now, who you vote for is your choice. My job is not to tell you who to vote for. My job is to tell you that if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you ought to think long and hard in that voting booth how your vote reflects your commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And I am convinced that only a severe misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ can lead 65% of American evangelicals to support a candidate whose words and actions stand in direct opposition to the teachings of their founder. Some of you are probably mad that I brought that up. That's okay. My job's not to make you happy. It's not. My job is to tell you the truth. When you go to the doctor, you don't go to the doctor for the doctor to tell you what you want to hear. You want the doctor to tell you the truth and then tell you how to fix it. My job is to tell you the truth and then tell you how to fix it. The truth is sometimes uncomfortable. The truth is sometimes painful. But Jesus tells us that if we continue in it, it will set us free. The truth if we will heed it, will set us free. So that's all I'm going to say about the negative aspect of it. Okay, I'm not going to dwell on the negatives. I've got to tell you the truth. I've got to tell you what's wrong, just like the doctor has to tell you what's wrong. Now we're going to dive into how we are going to set things right. That's what this series is all about. That's what this series is all about. It's, it's a chance for us to pull out our map and our compass and check our direction, and make the necessary corrections to get back on track. At times, it might be uncomfortable. We may realize that we have bought into a version of cultural Christianity that stands at odds with the teachings of its founder. That might be uncomfortable for us to face at times, but it gives us the opportunity to make it right and to get back on track. And I really believe that this series is going to help us experience Jesus afresh. It's going to help us experience Jesus afresh in his own context, in his own words, on his own terms. And because we're seeking Jesus, I believe that we're going to experience fresh grace and fresh truth. John, in his gospel, tells us that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. And we're going to experience both in equal measure. The grace will refresh us in the truth will set us free. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to experience Jesus afresh? Well, we are going to take a deep dive into the New Testament documents of Luke and Acts. The New Testament documents of Luke and Acts. This, uh, you might ask, well, why those particular documents? You know, you're probably thinking that. That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. Uh, so we're going to dive into Luke and Acts because this, these two documents were actually written as a two-volume series, a two-volume series that, were, that described the life of Jesus and the life of the early church. Uh, they were written by the same author, two volumes by the same author. And to prove that to you, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Um, I'll tell you who the author was in a few minutes. You can probably guess. 
Um, but before I tell you a little bit more about the author, I, I want to I demonstrate that these two works were written by the same author. The author tells us why he wrote them uh, right, right in the beginning. So in Luke chapter 1, the author writes in verse 1, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So the author says he's taken He's undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about the events relating to Jesus of Nazareth. We have a, a Christian here who, who has undertaken to write down what has happened in the previous years about Jesus of Nazareth, just as they were handed down to us from the eyewitnesses and those who were servants of the word. So the, the author himself was not an eyewitness. The author was not uh, one of the original disciples of Jesus. But as we're going to see, and as he tells us, the author interviewed the eyewitnesses, the ones who lived and walked and ministered and learned and sat at Jesus' feet. So the author of this, he, his goal is to write an orderly account, an orderly account of, of all of these things. So he interviews the eyewitnesses, the people who were with Jesus, and he writes down a story of what Jesus was like, what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. And the reason he did that is so that we could have an orderly account and be certain of, of the things that Jesus did. So in other words, we have this, this Christian writer who's in this Christian community, and he wants the people around him, uh, or a certain individual, Theophilus, uh, we don't know if that was uh, one person. It could have been a, a Greek person of, of noble estate, or it could be um, sort of like a code name for all of God's people. Theophilus means lo uh, loved of God, beloved of God, or friend of God in the Greek. So it could be a reference to his friends in the church, or it could be to a specific benefactor. But he wants these people or this person to know with certainty what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. So he went about and investigated very carefully all of these claims about Jesus. He interviewed the eyewitnesses. He did the investigation so that the readers of this document would know for certain what Jesus was like, what he did, and what he taught. So that's the introduction to the book of Luke. Now jump over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The author says this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, well, what's the former book? Luke, right? And so we see uh, Theophilus, the same person that it's addressed to. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Well, that's what Luke is. Luke is an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach before he was taken up into heaven. The book of Luke closes with Jesus ascending up into heaven. The book of Acts begins with the very same thing. So we see here, this is a second volume that picks up where the first volume left off. And so the book of Acts then picks up with Jesus' ascension, and it tells the story of the early church, how they took Jesus' lifestyle and Jesus' teaching, how they put it into action in their early community as they endeavored to follow Jesus as his disciples, as they endeavored to figure out how to live out this new way of life within their community. And as we read through the book of Acts, and we're going to dive into that in a, in a little while, we're going to see that they turned the world upside down. They were accused of turning the world upside down with their doctrine. 
Uh, they, they went throughout the entire Roman Empire, this, this small Jewish sect as it was, as it was originally looked at, all of, within a matter of decades, had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and it was capturing hearts and minds of people throughout the entire Mediterranean basin. And so we're going to look at how they did that. And the reason we're going to look at how they did that is because one of the keys to success, if you want to be successful at something, is you should look at somebody else who was successful in that thing. If you want to be good at, at, at basketball, then you look at good basketball players and watch their techniques and see what they do and emulate them so that you can become like them. So that's why we're going to look at Acts. Um, but first, we're going to take some time and we're going to dive into Luke. And I don't know how long it's going to take. So why are we going to do this? Why are we going to spend so much time in one book of the Bible? For this reason. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. Don't miss this. To be a Christian has a very specific definition. We use Christian now just very flippantly. We add Christian to everything. Christian bookstore, Christian radio, Christian gym, Christian coffee shop. We add Christian to everything. To be a Christian, biblically speaking, is to be a disciple of Jesus. To be a disciple has a very specific definition. To be a disciple in Jesus' day meant something very specific. To be a disciple is to pattern your life after or to become like your teacher. In Jesus' day, to become a disciple of somebody wasn't just to learn about their teachings and have head knowledge. To be a disciple is to become like that teacher. We're going to see that in Luke. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says that. Disciples should become like their teachers. Uh, so, and if we want to become like Jesus, which is what it means to be a Christian, by the way. To be a Christian means to be like Jesus. If you don't want to be like Jesus, then you're not a Christian. Okay? I mean, that's, that's what the word means. Uh, so, if we want to be like Jesus, it makes sense that we have to know what Jesus was like. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. If you want to be like somebody, you have to know what that person was like. You have to know what they did and what they taught. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts looking at what Jesus did and what Jesus taught and how Jesus interacted with people. And we're going to see how we can apply those things to our life so that we can become like Jesus. Because that's our goal as Christians. We want to become like Jesus. And then once we have spent a lot of time in the book of Luke, then we're going to move to the book of Acts. We're going to see how the early church carried out these teachings and how they endeavored to live this out and how they were successful at winning hearts and minds throughout the entire Mediterranean basin in the midst of a culture that was very opposed to who they were and what they stood for and how they were so successful. Uh, so how are we going to do this? Very slowly. Very slowly. I don't know how long this series is going to take. It might take a year. It might take two years. It might take longer. We're just going to take as long as, as we need to dive into these stories about Jesus and really see how we can apply them into our life. We're going to go very methodically. Um, you know, we might skip some sections. We'll focus heavily, more heavily on other sections, but we're going we're gonna to do this with a discipleship focus. This isn't just so you can have some head knowledge about Jesus. This is to, to form disciples, men and women who want to be like Jesus, who want their entire lives to be governed by the teachings and the actions of the one that we're trying to be like. So we're going to go very slowly and very methodically. I'm going to encourage you on a regular basis to read your Bibles. 
especially the, the sections that we're focusing on. I'm going to encourage you to take time throughout the week and read the sections over and over again that we're talking about to let them sink into you so that they become a part of you so that when you come to church you can ask questions so that we can discuss these things. I'm going to ask you to bring your Bibles to church so that we can dive into this together because as we, we have to know what Jesus was like if we want to become like him. So who is this series for? It's for everyone. Whether you are exploring faith for the very first time, whether you're wondering if you want to become a Christian, uh, if that's something that is, is for your life, this series is for you. Uh, if you're just curious about this Jesus person and, and what it means to follow him and you're, just, you're kind of skeptical and you're not sure and you've got questions, this is a great series for you. It's a chance for you to come to a safe place and just find out what Jesus was like. Find out if this is somebody that you want to commit your life to, somebody that you can trust with, with your life to take care of you. Uh, maybe you're exploring faith for the first time in a long time. Maybe you grew up as a, as a Christian, but uh, you drifted away for a while. You sort of gave that up for a while. You realized that you were too smart to believe that stuff. Uh, but you're, you, know, you sort of missed that from, from your past, and you want to experience it a little bit more. This series is for you to, to come back and, and see maybe, maybe the version of Christianity that, that you were born with or grew up with or came to reject later on, maybe that version of Christianity isn't Christianity at all. There are lots of people who are leaving the church. People are leaving the church in droves and, and for the wrong reasons. They're leaving because the, the, the version of Christianity they've been presented is not the, the Jesus-like version of Christianity that we find in scriptures. It's an Americanized, culturalized version that's created Jesus in its own image. So perhaps you left the church a long time ago, and this will help you realize that, that the Jesus you left behind wasn't Jesus of the Bible at all, but a Jesus that we've created in our own image. This might be an invitation for you to come back and follow the real Jesus. Maybe you're a seasoned Christian, and you've been doing this for a long time, and this is just an opportunity for a, for a yearly checkup, for you to just really take some time for self-reflection and self-examination, to ask yourself, okay, I, I've been a Christian for a long time. Where am I? Have I drifted off track in any area? And, and if so, how can I get back? If so, this is, this is for you as well. Uh, so here's the, here's the big why. Here's why we're doing this. And I'm going to point to the mission statement that we've got printed at the top of your bulletin. It says this. It says, Stony Brook Community Church of God is a gathering of imperfect people learning to follow Jesus. Perfection is not a requirement for being a part of this church or for coming to join us on Sunday mornings or our small groups. We, we know that we're imperfect. I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. So that there's no expectation of perfection here. We're just learning. We're imperfect people learning to follow Jesus. But we're doing this because we believe, we really believe that the love of God and the good news about Jesus Christ has the power to transform hearts lives, families, and communities. We really believe that. I really believe that. I believe the love of God and the good news, which is what gospel means, by the way, when, you, when your Bible says the gospel according to Luke. Uh, gospel means good news. We believe the good news about Jesus Christ really does have the power to transform hearts and lives and minds and families and communities. And that's why we're doing this. That's why I get up here every Sunday, why I study this stuff, why I talk about it with friends, because I believe that it will transform, it will change their lives. Uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life 
that they might have it to the full. Jesus doesn't want something from us so much as he wants something for us. And he says that if we want to have the kind of full, abundant life that he came to give, we find that by following him. Now, following him doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes it's countercultural. Sometimes it's counterintuitive. But he says if we do it, if we trust him and follow him in the way that he says, then we can experience life to the full, abundant life. And the only way to do that is to explore and to follow Jesus where he goes. So we invite you to join us on this journey. It's a journey. You, we, you know, there's no commitment. There's no expectation. We just want you to come and learn and explore and see. Let's check our heading. Let's check our orientation. Let's measure our lives and our faith by the standard of Jesus. Let's use the books of Luke and Acts as our map and our compass, which point to our true north, which is Jesus. Jesus is our destination, and Luke and Acts are our map and our compass that we can use to check our heading and find out if we're going in the right direction, and if we're not, to make the changes necessary so we can experience that life to the full. During this time, I'm really going to encourage you, if you don't come to our small groups, please get involved. I, I really believe, our, our Sundays are wonderful, I love our Sundays, but I don't think that they're enough in and of themselves for us to get everything that we need to, to really put this into practice. So, so come Wednesday or come Thursday, or if you can't come in either of those and you want to host one you know, in your house, if you, let's make it happen, because I really believe that a lot of the transformation uh, happens when we hear something on Sunday, but then we get together in a circle. We get out of rows and we get into circles and we talk about it and we ask each other questions and we challenge each other and we hold each other accountable. There's something that happens in those small groups that just can't happen in, in a bigger gathering like this where we have that conversation. So I'd really encourage you, at least for this series, to get yourself involved in a small group where we can, we can challenge each other and hold each other accountable and, and discuss this stuff on a deeper level. Uh, so that's what this is about. We are going to learn to follow Jesus. We are going to take a fresh look at Jesus and the movement he began. We are going to reorient ourselves and make sure that we are following not a Jesus of our own creation, but the Jesus who really came, the Jesus who really lived, who really taught. And then we're going to look at the early church who turned the world upside down by following this Jesus uh, even when it didn't make sense, even it was uncomfortable, even when it cost them everything and, we're, and it changed the world. We're here today because there were people who took that, they took Jesus at his word and they lived that way. And because they did, we're here today. And so we want to continue on that legacy in our lives. So this is our orientation. This morning is our orientation to this new series where we're going to take a fresh look at Jesus and the movement he began. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace. Father, we know that self-examination and self-reflection can sometimes be uncomfortable. It can sometimes be painful. It can sometimes reveal that we have drifted off the course of where we want to go. But Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every day. We thank you for your forgiveness and your love and your patience. You've promised that so long as we turn to you, no matter how far off we may have gotten, that if we turn to you, you will lead us back, that you will lead us in the way of truth, that you have given us grace and truth. Father, help us to experience both afresh. Help us to find the full life that you have promised us through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Give us the courage we need to make the necessary changes, to get back on track, to readjust, to become the kind of people that turn the world upside down through their radical grace, love, compassion, and commitment to truth. Thank you for these things. I thank you for these people in this room. Father, be with each and every one of us. Draw us closer to your heart. Give us the strength we need to follow you. Give us the insight into your Son to be true and committed followers of Jesus. Father, be with them as they leave today. Watch over them. Watch over their families. Give them grace and truth in abundance. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>